Welcome to Imagine the Future. Joining us today is the Director of Strategy and Growth for the rapidly growing Atlas Tech, as well as the President of the Charleston Defense Contractors Association, Gary Jaffe. Thank you so much for coming out and being here. Thank you so much for having me. Would you mind giving a brief introduction on yourself? Sure, sure. So my name's Gary Jaffe, as, as you've said. Um, I do serve as the Director of Strategy and Growth for Atlas Tech, and that's that's a fancy way of saying I do business development. I help help them um, navigate the market, you know, of course, manage the pipeline and, uh, and mature opportunities through, through to, to win. And um, as far as background, I uh, grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and then I went to the Citadel Military College in, in Charleston, South Carolina, commissioned into the Air Force from there, and um, was there for four years, made captain, and decided to transition into the defense industry, um, working for a Fortune 500 defense contractor, and then uh, later, uh, after four years, transitioning to Atlas Tech, and I've been there for about nine and a half years. So um, that's that's pretty much where I'm at now. So just like you mentioned, you've kind of had a few roles in your life thus far, um, from being a commercial fellow to supporting the Space and Naval Warfare System System uh, Center Atlantic Chief of Staff, to a captain in the U.S. Air Force where you served for more than four years, to now your corporate life managing projects, strategy, and growth. Reflecting on all these roles, how has your career evolved with each one? And did you ever think when you were in your 20s that you would achieve all these great accomplishments? I ask that a little bit selfishly because I'm in my 20s and I think 20s are always like a limbo state in life. Yeah, it's fair. It is, it is a bit of a limbo state, but it's also exciting. And um, yeah, I would say how my career has evolved is... Um, you know, trying to learn as much as I possibly could and staying open to opportunity has really helped propel me into uh, positions of greater responsibility. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that would be the best advice. And, and also just background I can give on, on that is just um, trying to use every single uh, step in your career to uh, build on your knowledge and, and sort of help yourself understand where your passions lie. And if you mm-hmm. continue to follow where your passions lie, um, that has kind of led me into this role and, and, and into a very, very um, uh, exciting part of my career. Yeah, awesome. I'd like to talk through individually a few of your roles and learn more about your experience and point of view in them, starting with your time in the Air Force. First of all, thank you so much for your service during that time. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Can you describe what your role and responsibilities were as the logistics readiness officer in the U.S. Air Force? Sure, sure. So logistics readiness officers, pretty much what it sounds, you know, movement of cargo people, um, you know, supporting global operations and, uh, you know, coming in as a young lieutenant, I immediately was um, overseeing the material management flight and, you know, that was, you know, uh, roughly 65, 70 folks, you know, which is fairly daunting as a 21 year old um, or 22. Um, But then, you know, sort of advancing into fuel operations and overseeing over well over a hundred folks, and um, and then uh, going to Afghanistan and helping mentor the Afghan army on a uh, military's interest transition team, where I was attached to uh, Combined Security Transition Command Afghanistan. Um, I was able to to leverage that experience to help them navigate logistics at that level, and um, did over 81 convoys around the country um, trying to establish greater connectivity um, 
uh, in their supply chain uh, and also injecting money into the local economy to to help build that country up um, so so that's really what the job was about I would say the greatest experience I gained from it was the leadership opportunity so mm-hmm. there's a lot of great careers in the Air Force but um, the LRO position was one that afforded me tremendous levels of responsibility you know a, a lot of a lot of people um, that, that were counting on me um, from a very young age so yeah. uh, that was probably um, it's certainly a defining moment in my life and something that I lean on that experience daily. What was that stress if there was stress? I'm guessing there was stress. <laughs> yeah. but what was that stress like? At that? Yeah, certainly. I mean, the challenges of, you know, being a cadet and trying to learn leadership and sort of a leadership laboratory at the Citadel, uh, that's much different than real life when people are struggling with home issues and financial troubles and um, career decisions and those kinds of things. It's It's real life. And so... Um, to me, you know, certainly the experience of the Citadel helped, but, um, you know, when you, when you're actually serving in the military and, and you are a officer, folks are counting on you and, um, you really have to step up. So, um, but, but it it makes you grow up fast, but Mm -hmm. it certainly, um, helps you, uh, helps form perspective for you and helps you, um, you know, navigate your career, I think, um, a little more intentionally because, you have to start thinking like that early. Awesome. Um, yeah, I could only imagine. That was different than, you know, when I was 22, I was still in college. So <laughs> completely different. Yeah, yeah. Um, what were the main challenges you faced as a logistics readiness officer in managing the supply chain and the fuels operations? Yeah, I would say the biggest challenges are, um, of course, people management, you know, making sure that folks are doing the right things and that you're, um, you know, making the right decisions, um, as, as well as, you know, in Afghanistan, there was a lot of challenges when you talk about cultural barriers, language barriers, technology barriers, you know, education barriers. Um, there was just a lot of different challenges in that specific role because the way we do things, um, if we simply tried to push our way on them, it wasn't going to be successful. So, mm-hmm. you know, they may have counted items on a piece of paper, and we may be pushing it, trying to push some sophisticated database on them, and neither of those is going to work. So, maybe it was a spreadsheet. <laughs> so there, you know, we kind of had to meet in the middle to make sure that they could learn and leverage technology, but not push so much technology on them that it became overwhelming or daunting. And, you know, in that role, you really have to be culturally aware and sensitive. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I learned a lot there, uh, beyond just, uh, doing logistics, um, on a, on a, on an air force base in the United States. So, yeah. Yeah, and I'm guessing they gave you translators and you had the resources to make it a little bit smooth. I did. I had an assigned interpreter okay. and um, and certainly had a team uh, that we, you know, we were we were close, uh, very close, obviously, given the environment. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yes, yes, and that was, that was very, very helpful, so. Wow, that's, that's definitely a lot, though, I can only imagine, oh my gosh. Um, it sounds like you had a lot of responsibilities that came with the role as we've discussed. Obviously, we'd love everything to go perfectly in a perfect world, 
but I'm sure it wasn't always the case because like anything else in this world, um, so much of life in business is problem solving. Are there any moments you can recall during your time as a logistics readiness officer where your problem solving skills were put to the test? Multiple times. Uh, I mean, it's hard to isolate one. Yeah. Um, I'll say certainly Afghanistan and the, and the technology uh, barriers earlier, that was a big challenge trying to find a middle ground um, between the technology we were leveraging and the, and the frankly, lack thereof that, that they were familiar with. And so that was a huge challenge. I would also say, I, you know, when I served as the executive officer for the mission support group commander, there were a lot of challenges in um, managing relationships and trying to navigate the, you know, the politics of, of military rank um, at that level when you're a young lieutenant. Um, and so, uh, you know, certainly a lot of challenges. I would say that the the great thing about it was um, it taught me how to, how to uh, you know, the good and the bad, right? So you learn in these roles um, good leadership, um, maybe leadership that could be handled differently. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that, you know, that really helped frame my perspective because, you know, I've always said, you you know, treat people the way you want to be treated, you know? And so that's all those challenges and experience kind of helped me um, frame a perspective. And um, I routinely try to deploy that perspective to, to influence others to hopefully want to follow me and uh, want to contribute at a higher level. Wow. I have a quick question for, because you mentioned technologies. What was like different? How, how can you explain the difference in technologies? In Afghanistan? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, we, <laughs> I mean, not necessarily the military and government doesn't necessarily move at, you know, the fastest pace all the time. You know, certainly we're trying to. Um, but, you know, there's just, there was so much, um, there was just so many barriers over there from an educational perspective mm -hmm. and an exposure perspective to Western mm -hmm. technologies. You know, it was a, um, I think, you know, obviously at the time there was, it was a bit of a period of isolationism probably for them. Um, many countries didn't want to necessarily interact in that region, um, because it was such a unstable region at the time. So I think some of the, um, the technologies that were readily available off the shelf just weren't making it into that country. And so, you know, all of the these factors kind of weighed against them and so you know certain databases or sophisticated supply chain technology that we were leveraging just wasn't available there yeah. and so um that's sort of what i was referring to I see. yeah i can only picture how fast the difference would be yeah and then i'm just curious the computers that you use are they like those like bulky kind of like hard duty computers yeah, no, good question. So um, we had normal, I guess, desktops. You know, certainly we had rugged laptops available when needed. Um, but yeah, I had um, two desktops. You know, I had a, certainly a Nipper, so unsecure workstation, and then a Sipper as well, and I could, which was secure, you know, mm -hmm. secret, and I could flip between the two. Um, 
depending on what we were trying to do. Right. So interesting. Oh, I didn't know that that was um, something that you know you had. In that yeah, part. yeah. When you have certain controlled information, um, you have to be on a dedicated asset for mm -hmm. for to interface with that that data. So um, I had the need for two desktops okay. uh, at the at the when I was at the office. Of course, I was traveling around quite a bit. Right. And this also, when you were in Afghanistan, you also had that, right? The two. Well, that's what I mean, yeah. Oh, so okay. when I was in Afghanistan, I had that, um, the office being a, a Connex okay. box container that I worked gotcha. in. Okay. Uh, but, but yes. Um, and I'm going to ask a question just because I'm curious, and if you can't answer it, completely respect it. Um, because, you know, you were in Afghanistan, you said they were so behind on technology, was there ever really a fear that anyone in that area could potentially hack you, your computer, if you weren't on the secure? Well, there's always that risk, yeah, okay. for sure. This is actually when, um, 08, I believe, was when we stopped, everybody stopped using USB, external mm -hmm. USBs, because, you know, the, the China, you know, the whole yeah. issue with um, some of the technology that was bought from there. So, um you know that's always a risk certainly um again um much of the technology we were employing was not you know from a logistics perspective not uh, tremendously sophisticated mm -hmm. because we couldn't you know we had to yeah. you know kind of be in the meet in the middle so yeah. um certainly a risk uh but uh i never we never had like um any sort of um Issues. Intrusion or issues, okay. yeah, while I was there. I was just, I was just being curious. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, transitions are always hard. Personally, change has always been something for me that I'm a little scared of, but I always welcome it. I'm just always a little timid, you know, fear of the unknown, obviously. Um, what was the experience like for you transitioning from government roles to industry roles? And is there anything you wish you had done that maybe a vet currently transitioning or approaching that period in their life uh, could consider to prepare themselves? Yeah, for sure. Um, so it was a it was a good transition for me. You know, I wanted to stay connected to the mission, but I didn't necessarily want to stay uh, on the road constantly. You know, of course, that was a period of very high tempo for for the military, and so you know, I was fortunate and grateful for the opportunity to serve, but I did have some additional things I wanted to do. And so, um, after I got my master's degree, um, I decided it was time to, you know, transition. And, um, I would say the only, you know, piece of advice of course is, you know, continue to follow your passion. And my passion I knew was to try to stay connected to the mission. So even though I didn't necessarily want to be in uniform, I knew that I wanted to contribute. And, um, the defense industry provided that conduit for me to still be able to contribute even though I wasn't in uniform. And, um, you know, again, paying attention to to what drives you every day and, and what, you know, motivates you is, is super important when navigating any decision, but particularly that kind of a transition. And it is daunting, um, you know, being more, you have to be open to the differences between military government life and the commercial world and some people view that as uh, risky because the you know the government jobs are are more secure and yeah. you know I would say you know the one thing I did that um, I was I guess proud of was 
taken the leap of faith, you know, and, and I think, you know, risk reward, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, to me, it, wor- it worked out. But that's, I would encourage everyone to continue to follow their hearts and their passion. And I think it's, um, it, it usually works out. And were you married while you were still in the Air Force, or you got married afterwards? Like? Yes, yes. I was married um, the, pretty much the whole time I was in the Air Force. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I'm so, sure yeah. that also was a little difficult. It is well. tough, yeah, for sure, especially deployments. But yeah. we, you know, I didn't have any children at the time, and, uh, wow, I can't, you know, that so much respect for those uh, servicemen and women that leave their children uh, to go yeah. serve. That's a, that is a tremendous sacrifice. Yeah, I can that's why I was curious if you, I was going to ask my follow-up question if you had kids at that period of time, but because yeah. that, I feel like it's always a little bit more hard. Oh, definitely. I mean, Without just leaving doubt. your wife or your husband right. or, is already hard enough, but mm-hmm. I think with the child, it's also, because you miss them growing up, so. Very true. Very true. That's the hard part. Um, at Atlas Technologies, you've had a few roles throughout the years, one being the director of contracts and business development. I like to talk about winning in business, specifically looking at two pillars, relationships and community. Can you describe your approach to each and how has that helped you and Alice continue to finding success? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, business continues to be all about relationships Mm -hmm. and um, Atlas um, has an incredible reputation, which is what what drew me to them initially. Um, and continues to, to certainly help us thrive. Um, you know, relationships not just for doing great work, but, you know, you mentioned community. Uh, yeah. Giving back to the community is a, a huge pillar of our company. You know, we, we give back literally hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, yeah. um, you know, from the 180 place, the, the shelter, uh, from, you know, to Low Country Food Bank. Um, you know, we do these... Um, we've done certain food drives and school drives for local schools and we do it at every location so we really believe in giving back to the communities Mm -hmm. within which we you know work and live so um, but but relationships and 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 community as far as success they do go hand in hand you know we believe in transparency and um making sure that we're really building partnerships and not just teams. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a difference, you know, we're not just teaming to win, but yeah. really trying to cultivate partnerships that are longer relationships that can are, are mutually beneficial and symbiotic. And uh, that's made a huge difference for us um, because, you know, folks will pick up the phone and call us if they're, even if they're not pursuing an opportunity just to help us out. And we would do the same. And so, that has really helped us grow. Um, you know, there's a there's enough business for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm a firm believer. Again, back to the treat others the way you want to be treated. It's pretty simple, but um, for us and the relationships that that kind of mantra has cultivated, um, it's it's hard not to believe in that. Yeah. So. No, and I'm with you on the treat others how they want to be treated i recently heard and i really like this the golden rule is treat others how they want to be treated treated the platinum rule is treat others how they would like to be treated and that got me thinking i don't know why but it like really made me reflect like oh like what if 
something I'm doing to that person, like I would like to be treated that way, but what if that makes them feel uncomfortable? I don't know why, it just got me like thinking about a lot of things then for some reason yeah. when I heard that, I was like, oh wow, I, I never thought about it that way. No, that's a, that's a really, really good point. Yeah. yeah. And that's, uh, I should, maybe I should take that. <laughs> I just, I was like, oh, that's such an interesting like perspective because I never thought about it like that. I really never done but. yeah no it's a, that is interesting yeah it's certainly um you know you want to meet them um uh and at their you know point of need and and yeah. sort of where they want to be and, and be invitational and and um you know again transparency is, is really important honesty transparency um you know if folks trust you and and they know that they um that you honor your promises and your commitments yeah. i think it's it's um it's a recipe for success I want to ask you, do you have any interesting stories or anything like little anecdotes that you would want to share that you haven't shared thus far, but that's just something that's always stayed with you throughout your life? Yeah. Um, I would say the only thing is, you know, growing up, my father, um, always led by example Mm -hmm. and, you know, always set a good example. And, um, I've had a lot of great examples throughout my life. And so, um, for me, example-centered leadership is a really, really important thing. You know, it's wanting to, you know, others, you know, to want to follow you, follow you not have to follow you. And yeah. being willing to roll your sleeves up and, and get in there with the team is something I've routinely prided myself on doing from the Air Force, you know, Citadel Air Force all throughout my career is trying to not ask someone something you're not willing to do yourself, yeah. you know, um, and, and being willing to get in the trenches and do it with them. That's, I think it's super important and it breeds a level of, um, uh, a relationship that is much deeper than just, you know, surface level manager employee type thing. So, um, example centered leadership and, and really, you know, really being willing to get in there with your, with your team, um, to me has, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. I love that. Um, before we wrap up, I always like to ask everyone a similar question at the end. Um, and I wanted to get your take on it because I like seeing how everyone's different take is on it. So how do you imagine the future when it comes to technology and business and kind of also reflecting on how the two can be meshed to, for community purposes? a huge huge question um yeah super easy uh i think you know back to the the principles of leadership and what mm-hmm. we've talked about a little yeah. bit throughout this podcast is technology and business can continue to be a productive relationship as long as there are strong leaders who are willing to raise their hand when know it may not be going in the right direction and so you look at things like chat gpt and ai and some of these solutions which are um can be leveraged in really positive ways but also need to be controlled and 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 you know for the for literally the you know for humanity's sake (laughs) and so um i think we've never had a time in our life where we've needed leaders more um, paying attention to this because technology has advanced to the point where, frankly, it it could be scary. And so, um, 
you know, I believe that, you know, business and technology certainly, um, certainly can be a, a really good relationship and continue to be very productive and, and, and increase, uh, quality of life for our for our team and and our uh, all, all professionals in in every industry um but i do maintain that you know it's it's super important to to um that the social responsibility aspect and and sort of having leaders that are willing to raise their hand and, and fight for what's right is really really important i love it thank you so much thank you so much it's been a pleasure awesome i'm glad you enjoyed it thank you so much Thanks.